All right, let me switch microphones. All right, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn there. And we're going to pick up with verse 12, and we're going to down to verse 18. So let's read. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly towards you. For we are not writing any of other things to you than what you've read or understood. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. As also you have understood us in part, that we are, are your boast, as you also are ours, in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I intended to come to you before, that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, and then come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped on our way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. And so let's pray for our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that's already blessed. We're going to open our heart up and receive it by faith and be nourished and blessed by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you that you're breaking this apart and they're walking away hearing you and, and they leave with what they need. And only you can do this miracle and I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah. All right. So let's go back into verse 12 here and start unpacking. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to your word. So we're our third lesson into the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you've missed the other two, you can find them on our website, riverrockchurch.net. But in this book, it's a book of restoration. The first book he wrote, 1 Corinthians, is a book of correction. So there were many mistakes or many messes and many things wrong in the church that Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't have time to go back through all of those. And so, but he did correction through that letter. And by and large, they repented. And so they got it straight, straightened up. But there are some in the congregation, not all, but some in the congregation that did not like being corrected. Have you ever met somebody that is just easily corrected and they just change, but then there's other people that you correct and all of a sudden they smile to your face and walk away and they're like, I have something against you. And so there were some in the congregation with that attitude, and it started popping back up. And so some were sowing strife in the congregation, and they were blaming Paul. They said, well, Paul promised to come twice to us, and he only came once. He doesn't keep his word. And then he's going to bring out that Paul came, and he had ulterior motives. He was just here to get, get stuff from us. He didn't look like it, he didn't talk like it, but under the, under the, the, the table, I'm sure he was, and so they just blamed him and blamed his ministry. And so we're going to find out later that they're going to have multiple things they're going to blame Paul about. Paul's going to have to defend his ministry in this, in this book. But this book is filled with so much more, and so we're excited to get into it. So look again, back in verse 12, it says, our rejoicing is this. Look at the word rejoicing. It's the Greek word boasting. Boasting. Raise your hand if you've heard boasting is wrong. Now, you know the trash talkers, you know, especially around football season. And so my wife is one of the biggest ones. She's not here. She's at home getting ready, but praise God. But she's a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. I'm a Dallas Cow. 
I'm a, and I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Wow. Oh, she's there. She's, she's there. So. I thought you left, honey. Oh, you need the keys. Sorry. Let's move on. I'm just talking about how you trash talk me in football. And then uh, she solves all the questions, all the arguments are solved by how many rings do we have. It's like, all right, praise God. But you know what? Boasting is not always wrong. It's boasting in yourself that's wrong. You know, you can boast in Jesus. You can boast in the Lord and the things of the Lord and the things the Lord's done for you. You can boast in that. Paul said our rejoicing is in God, not in ourselves. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and sincerity we lived among you. But look at it, it says the testimony of our conscience. Say testimony. And so testimony of our conscience. And so let's talk about our conscience for a second. And conscience is a testifier. Our conscience testifies of something. What does our conscience testify? To the knowledge of what good and evil we have in our life. And so based on the knowledge we have of what's good and what's evil, and if we do what's good, our conscience testifies. We're on base. We're in the right path. But if we do wrong, our conscience bugs us because we know what's wrong, but we did it anyway. Who grew up in a religious, very legalistic background? Uh, the whole church. Raise your hand. And so you were, you were taught this and that's wrong and going to a movie theater is wrong and then going to a football game is wrong and going to a bowling alley is wrong. There's smoke there. It's not the smoke of God's presence. It's the smoke of cigarettes. And you're not allowed to go to a bowling alley and you're like, what if the Lord came? What if the rapture came and you're holding a bowling ball? Drop it <laughs> and go up. Hallelujah. And we're taught certain things are wrong. And so how do you know if you were taught to, if your movies were evil and you went to a movie theater, what would your conscience do? It would bother you. And so again, the conscience is something that became a part of us. We, Adam and Eve was not created with a conscience. I don't think we realized that. So how did they know what was right and wrong? They asked God. God, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this what we should do? But when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, say knowledge of good and evil when they ate of that tree that tree became a part of them called the conscience and so now people live according to their conscience of good and evil and so i think it's i think it's good even though we have a conscience is to still go back to god and say is this right is this wrong because your conscience could be educated wrong and so it's based on your knowledge of what's right and wrong and so you can have wrong knowledge and so we need to educate our conscience correctly through the Word of God. But guys, you're never going to get rid of the conscience as long as you're alive on this earth. Well, Pastor, I don't want to have a conscience anymore. Well, I'd have to shoot you and send you on. Because, but you're going to have a conscience to the day you leave here. And that conscience is going to stick with you. And so it's a good thing, but you need to educate it. Now, why is it important then to understand the conscience? Because you can violate your conscience. And so that's danger. Your conscience is really a safe guide. Your conscience tells you, no, you're doing wrong. You know you're wrong. It's harmful. Don't do it. It's just like touching a hot stove. Your nerve endings say, oh, that's hot. That's not good. And your conscience has a feeling to it that keeps you from the wrong path. 
And so what happens if you, uh, you sear your hand and sear those feelings anymore and they're calloused over and you can't feel anymore and you put your hand on a hot stove and you didn't know it? After a while, you cause damage. You know you can sear your conscience? How do you sear your conscience? You don't listen to it. You don't listen to it and it gets softer and softer and softer. And then there's people in prison today killing people, doing stuff, and they have no compunction. There's no conscience because they violated that conscience so much. Paul talked about his conscience, and this is what Paul said about his own conscience. In Acts 24, look at verse 16. Acts 24, look at verse 16. Paul says, This being so, I myself always, say always, Strive. What do you, Paul, what do you always strive to do? I always strive to have a conscience clear of offense towards God and towards men. You know, if, you're, if your conscience bothers you, you have no confidence. If your conscience bothers you, it's hard to have confidence. Your faith won't work. And so we need faith to receive grace. And so here it says, I strive to keep a clear conscience. What happens when you don't keep a good conscience? What happens to the... Look in 1 Timothy 1, the verse 19. 1 Timothy 1, 19. There's a group of people that Paul talks about that don't keep a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1, 19 says, Having faith, say faith, and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have, become, have suffered shipwreck. What did they reject? They rejected faith. They stopped trusting God started trusting themselves their own reasoning stop trusting the lord have you ever got to a place in your life where you weren't trusting the lord turn to someone and say are you trusting the lord and the promises are there you have faith but you can reject it you know that when you don't use your faith you have faith it's not like well i don't have faith you've got faith when you got saved you have the faith of the lord jesus christ you have prime usda choice faith and you have it in your spirit then why aren't you using it when you choose not to use it you're somebody's well reject it and paul says rejecting faith in a good conscience what they just started violating their conscience and they stopped doing it and so again has you ever did something and your conscience bugged you and then you like found out you got you got into trouble and you're like all along on the inside it was telling me i was in the wrong path and so, but don't violate that because you can override it and override it and override it and you can see your conscience and then you become shipwreck. Tell someone, don't shipwreck. <laughs> Amen. Keep sailing. And Paul said this, he said, the testimony of my conscience, what did his conscience testify? That when he was with the Corinthians, he was with them not in fleshly wisdom, Say fleshly wisdom. This is the wisdom of the world. Do you know that, that there's a wisdom in this world that's not the wisdom of God? You know, what's the wisdom of this world? What's an example of wisdom of this world? Save everything you have, keep everything you got, hoard it up, and you'll get rich one day. That's what the world says. But you know what God says, what God's wisdom is? He says give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men gives. That's God's wisdom. And so today, you may be sitting here as a Christian and say, you know what, it's not looking good now. And that start market is higher than ever before. It may crash, Pastor. 
and I'm afraid it's going to crash, and I'm a, there's going to be bread lines, and there's going to be toilet paper lines, and, and there's going to be all kinds of lines, and I'm going to hoard up, and I'm going to keep up. I'm going to stop giving. Dum, 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 da, dum. What would happen if a farmer said, you know what, I'm concerned about having enough to eat. I'm going to only sow half the seed I did last year. No, he says, I'm going to sow extra. And so again, don't be, the devil hates it when he tries to, to do his boogeyman show on you, put you in a fear, and you say, no, devil, I'm going to do the opposite, right in your face. And so again, God's wisdom. Paul says, I didn't operate in fleshly wisdom. What's fleshly wisdom as a minister? Well, he, you're trying to get things from people. Paul says, I wasn't among you trying to manipulate you and using wisdom and techniques to try to get you to give. He says, I didn't do any of that. And if you're called to the ministry, don't do that. And so again, you need to trust the Lord. And Paul says, I didn't use fleshly wisdom. I didn't use gimmicks to try to get something from you as a minister. But he says, I was among you by the grace of God. Say the grace of God. God. What is he talking about? He's saying, I trusted God as my source. And he tr- I mean, God can provide a lot better than people can. He says, I'm gonna, I've just trusted the Lord when I was with you. And you know how the Lord mainly met his needs? By a job. And so he wasn't there, and so he said, I'm going to work. Because he went to the Corinthian church, and he just discerned on the inside that if he started taking offerings, they'd have a wrong view of him, that he was in there for the money. He says, you know what? Towards you, I decided not to take up one offering. I didn't take up one offering among you, and I worked with my hands as a tent maker. And so again, sometimes in the ministry, raise your hand if you're called to the ministry out here. If you're called to the ministry and the money's not all there, you're not able to bring in a full income, guess what you need? A job, a a side job, tent making job. And so do that for a while. And so you can be bivocational. And so Paul said, I did that and I didn't take anything. I just trusted the Lord and the Lord supplied my need. And so Paul trusted for God to to meet his need. And so Paul said, we, are, we had our conversation in the world. Say conversation. That's not talking. Actually, the Greek word means our behavior. I love the King James. Who has the King James in this version? I love the King James here. It says, we behaved ourselves in the world. Tell someone you need to behave yourself. <laughs> Paul said, we behaved ourselves in the world. How, Paul, how, Paul, did you behave yourself? He says, not with fleshly wisdom. We didn't try to get stuff from you and try to have innuendos and you try to meet our needs. No, we, we, we behaved ourselves by the grace of God. We trusted God in every situation and God provided richly. God's going to provide richly for you. You know, you don't need to be looking at people as your source. And so oftentimes, sometimes God, God loves using people, though. You might be going to Karis Bible College and someone's providing your tuition and providing and say, well, bless God, they promised you they're going to provide your tuition through third year and they're providing it all the way to the first year and all of a sudden they said, oh, by the way, sorry, uh, I can't do that anymore. And then all of a sudden you had all your view on them and you fall apart. Now, whose eyes are you, is on right at that point? You have your eyes on people. God is your source. Tell someone, God's your source. People's not your source. God loves to use people, but get your eyes off of people. And so God will do that. But Paul said, I didn't have my eyes on people. I had my eyes on God. And he said, more abundantly towards you. Because in other churches, I received offerings. Like the church of Philippi. 
They received offering after offering after offering for Paul. But the Corinthian church was a different group of people. The Paul says, I'm going to do something different towards you. I'm not going to receive one offering so that you can't accuse me of anything. And so, but they're still going to accuse him. We're going to talk about how it, they st- they'll find something to accuse you of. And so Paul says, I, I uh, had it more abundantly towards you. You know that Corinthian church never gave Paul one red denarii. I don't think they used cents. But didn't give him one red denarii. And even after he left, they never gave him a dollar. But the church of Philippi partnered with Paul. And so it's so good to partner with those that are blessing you and has blessed you. And again, you don't have to give. We get to give. And so, again, Paul never took an offering up from this church. And so this goes back to the point is never demand or expect from people. Sometimes we just expect people to, to, to praise us or to do certain things for us, and we get hurt when that doesn't happen. They didn't appreciate me. They did this, and they didn't tell me thank you. So, well, who are you? Ask someone, who are you? Well, they ought to do that. They, they need to do that for me. No, they don't. Because when you put people under obligation to do things for you and expect them to do for you, you can't be thankful. See, never expect and demand or expect from people, but when people do something for you, then be thankful for it. Because if there's obligation, you can't be thankful. So who should you expect everything from? God. You can expect the promises of God to come through over and over and over again. And so again, you need to be, as a minister, if you're going to be in the ministry, don't demand people serve you, do things for you. And so it's like, well, Michael, hey, Michael, next, uh, I didn't notice you weren't carrying my Bible for me. And, and you're my armor bearer, and you're, and you're to keep the people away from me, because they may touch my anointing. They may, they may drain my anointing. And so, yeah, you, you just need to be an armor bearer for me, okay? Can you, can you picture Jesus hiding in the green room? Protecting his anointing so no one touched him? No, no. Why? What's the anointing for? It's for people. It's for people. And Jesus was thronged one day, and, 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 someone, and Jesus said, someone touched me. And the disciples thought it was bad. Oh, no, someone touched him. <gasps> everybody's touching you should we get him away no that's why i'm here and virtue came out of me that's why it was given and as a minister you should be among the people first peter 5 1 says as a shepherd you are to be among the people you're not above the people not separated from the people among the people every pastor ought to be part of a greeter team you should be among the people and so again but you know what the world was? Let me tell you something that they found a way to find, find fault with Paul. They, okay, this blows my mind. And later in the book, we're going to talk about it. The Corinthians actually said, Paul, you never received an offering. And because you didn't do that, that proves that you're not a big-time apostle. Because if you're a big-time minister, you would have demanded money. You would have demanded us take care of you. You would have took up money. But since you didn't take up money, you're nobody. How worldly. These people were so worldly. That's how the world is. The world demands to be taken. I'm someone special. You take care of me. And then because you didn't do that, you must not be someone special. They were so worldly. 
And so that's not how we should be in ministry. Look in the book of Luke. Look at Luke 22. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, well, actually, I'm sorry. Luke 22, 24 talks about the disciples in Jesus. And so in Luke 22, 24, it says, now there was a dispute among the disciples. What were they arguing about? As to which of them should be considered the greatest. Peter looked over it and John says, John, do you know I'm the greatest? I'm the greatest as ever. I'm the goat of all the disciples. And John says, uh-uh. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. And they're arguing and they look over to Thomas and Peter says, Thomas, tell him I'm, I'm the greatest. And he goes, I doubt it. But Jesus heard them, and this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but it shall not be among you. Say, it shall not be among me. It shall not be among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Serve, serve, serve. And so again, we need to take the humility route and not expect and demand people to take care of us or to do stuff for us. This even works in a marriage. Well, they ought to be doing this. They should do that. Well, who said? Well, I say. Well, no. Well, because if you're putting obligation on your spouse, you can't be thankful for them. What you put someone under the obligation to do when they do it, you can't be thankful for it. Okay. <laughs> little marriage counseling there. Verse 13. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Paul's saying, I'm writing you a fresh new letter and I haven't changed the tune. I haven't changed what I've said from the very beginning that you've met me. I've said the, I've said the same things over and over and over again. I'm going to continue to say and be stable. And, I'm, and the things that I'm saying is not anything out of line with the word of God that you've already read. The word of God that you already have, the scriptures that you already have, I'm in line with it. It's building upon it. And again, and I'm, not, I'm not straying from anything that you already have read in the word of God or have understood of the word of God. And Paul says, now I trust you will understand in the future, even to the end. The end of what? The end until Jesus comes back. And so again, every generation, we're expecting Jesus to come back. I'm expecting Jesus to come back. He can come back before this sermon's over. That's fine with me. And so Paul can finish it on the other side, and that would be fine with me. I'm heading to the beach. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, so Paul says, now I trust you will understand. Paul says, you know what? You have a level of understanding, but I'm trusting that you'll continue in understanding the word, growing in the word of God. Because if you're not growing, guess what's happening to you? You're slowing up. There's nothing static in the Christian walk. Paul told the Hebrews, he says, you know what? By now you should be teachers, but I have to teach you again the very first principles of the oracles of God have to teach you again. You should have been teachers by now, but you have become such. You were mature, but you backslid. You went back. How's a Christian backslide? It's really the word. They stop staying in the word. That's how what you call backsliding. Well, it's sin. Well, 
it's a byproduct of not being in the Word. If you're not in the Word, what's the default? You're going to get off into the flesh instead of in the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And so Paul says, I trust you will continue to understand, continue in the Word. Tell someone, continue in the Word. I have a question for you. How's your Word life? How's your Word life? And even as a pastor, I have to, I'm challenged to stay up. And so I have the word going. If I'm driving in my car going up the mountain instead of wasting on country music, <laughs> where your dog dies, your grandma dies, you know, your uncle gets out of prison, your trunk, you know, you need something. Why don't you have the teaching of the word of God? Do you know there's a thing called podcast and you can just hook up your phone and it'll play through your deal? And so I have, I have diff- three, like three or four different ministers that I listen to regularly every single day. And I'm in the Word, in the Word, I'm studying for myself, because guess what? If not, then all of a sudden some of you are going to run me over, because you're, you're, you're right on my steps with the Word of God. Pastor, we're taking everything you have, we're putting it into practice, and I hear your steps behind me. i got to keep up and keep with the Word of God. And so again, you need to continue in the Word of God. Jesus actually defines His disciples as continue in the word this is john 8 31 jesus says those that believed on him he says those who continue say continue those who continue in my word those are my disciples indeed and then those who what continue in my word will know the truth and the truth shall make them free why are we not walking in freedom then i ask a question are you continuing in the word are you continuing 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 tell someone continuing continuing on. Let me, this brings out the fact that you can be a disciple one day and cease being one the next. Pastor, are you saying that I won't be saved? No. Your salvation card got punched once and for all when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But guess what? Your discipleship card gets stamped every single day where you decide to continue in his word. And so, again, ask someone, are you a disciple? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. So, so Paul says, I trust you'll continue to understand even to the very end. You're going to continue to learn. How do you know you're not continuing in the word? You're not being a disciple. That when you hear the scripture or hear a word or hear something taught, you go, oh, I've heard that. Danger, 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 Will Robinson. Now, if you're under 30 years old, Google it, YouTube it. But that's danger when you say, you know, I already know that. Yeah, that's old hat. No, it's not working in your life. If it's working in your life, you're like, oh, he's on it. Oh, I want to hear more because I'm growing in. I need to even, I'm using a lot. Oh, I bought the T-shirt in 1970. So continue. And so, and so, um, let me go back here. And so let's go to verse 14. It says, as also you have understood, it's, uh, you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you have also of ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. He says, you have understood the word, but when it comes to us, you only understood us in part. You are some in the congregation that never got Paul. Just never got him. Didn't know what made him tick. Didn't know who he was. Really didn't understand him. And in the ministry, welcome to the ministry, there's going to be some people that are just not going to get you. They're not going to understand you. And whatever you do, whatever you say, they're going to question your motives. 
They're going to question whatever. And, and I'm going to, you know what, not everybody's going to like you. You're going to have to learn that. And so not everybody in the ministry is going to like you. I had to learn something that no one is everyone's cup of tea. But you're someone's cup of tea. And so uh, you're getting a cup of Rick. <laughs> Praise God. And sometimes I feel like I'm in hot water. <laughs> Praise God. And so right here it says now, it says, You've understood us in part that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. He says, you know what? Uh, I believe that you see me as your spiritual father and that you're proud of me. And I'm proud of you. As a pastor, I hope that you can say, you know what? I am proud to have Pastor Rick as my pastor. I, I strive to do that. I want that to happen. And, but you know what? I am proud of you. I am proud of you. But you know, some pastors and sometimes in some in the ministry, sometimes you got to say that by faith. You know what? I know your spirit loves me. And I love your spirit. And Paul says, you know what? I'm your boast and, and, and I'm your boast and you're my boast in the day of Jesus. Because right now, a lot of you aren't proud of me and don't even like me right now. But I know one day you will when Jesus comes back. Well, I'll be your boast and you'll be my boast. And so here he says in verse 15, And in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. Paul says in this confidence. What confidence? In this confidence that they were proud of him, that they liked him, that they valued him as a spiritual father. He says, you know what? I was so excited to come to you. I was going to come to you twice because I just want to spend time with you because I know that you would like it and I would like it. And then, but then he came one time. And they had nothing but strife, and they were yelling at him, and they were coming against him. And so he had to correct them, and he was sorrowful. They were sorrowful. It was a very painful visit. And he left, and he says, you know what? I'm choosing not to come back the second time because it's best for you not to at this time because it's just be sorrow upon sorrow, and it's not going to be a benefit at this point. Paul said, I had to change my plan. Say, change my plans. Paul says, I didn't intend to change my plan, but because of the relationship I'm having with you, it's best for you that I change my plan. And Paul, and some in the congregation were saying, Paul, you didn't keep your word. You said you were going to come to us, and then you're going to come up there to Philippi and come back to us a second time. You don't keep your word. And so they're going to say that about Paul. Look down to verse 16. It says, uh, to pass by way of you to Macedonia and come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. That was his plan. His plan was, was in Ephesus. He was going to come over to Corinth, spend time with them, go up north to Philippi, spend time with them, come down back to Corinth, spend more time with them, and then go to Jerusalem with the offering that he had. And he said he went over that one time. It was such a painful visit. He said, the Lord, I just bear witness it's not best for you at this time that we do this again. You need to settle down a little bit and think about some things. And so Paul didn't go of it, so he changed his plan, but they blamed Paul for not keeping his word. And Paul said, actually, it's for your sake. You know, it's, when you're making a plan, sometimes it has to change. Sometimes the Lord will change it. Remember when Paul was going on a missionary journey and says, go into all the world? And so they, second missionary journey, they go off and they go into Asia, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, don't go. You know, when you get a check in the Spirit, you usually don't know why. It's just you got to learn to obey. Have you, ever, have you ever overrode a check in the Spirit and got in trouble? Yeah. I've done that. I don't have time to tell you 
a piece of stupid I did, but I learned from it. And I said, Lord, by the grace of God, I'll never override that. But every time I've ever had a check in the spirit, every single time, I didn't know why. I just had to learn. And then on the other side, I said, ah, now I know why. And so Paul was going to preach a good thing. I'm going to preach the gospel in Asia. And God said, don't go, don't go, don't go. Okay, he stopped. Then he went north. He went into Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. Why? He didn't get an answer. He said, okay, well, I know enough. So he just went as far as he could walk, go forward to, uh, to a city called Troas. It's right by the sea, the Aegean Sea. And if he, he would say, well, Jesus, as far as I've gone, as I, I'll have to walk on the water from here. And so he just stopped that night and had a vision in the night to go to Macedonia. So why, we're going to find out later why he got no's. Why wasn't he supposed to go to Asia? Because what was in Asia? Ephesus. Ephesus was not yet. That was his third missionary journey. Ephesus was not ready yet. He was not ready yet. Sometimes the Lord says no to you because you're not ready. Tell someone you may not be ready. But I want to, Pastor. I'm ready. No, you're not. Oh, I'm ready. No, you're not. If you're getting that check on the inside, it's not ready yet. And so what's about Bithynia? Bithynia was a no, no, never. Paul never was supposed to go to Bithynia. Why? Who was going to Bithynia? Peter. Peter went to Bithynia. He wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter to those in Bithynia. He ministered there. So some no's in your life is no, not yet. Some are no, not ever. But will you trust him? And so God will lead you in those things. And look at verse 17. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly or did I do it flippantly? Did I do it just offhandedly? Make it, you know, just say something and have no intention of keeping it. Have you ever met someone that said that? Let's do lunch. And you know, sure, well, you will never have a fry with that guy. (laughs) You'll never have a burger with that person. They're just saying that. Or you know what? I'm praying for you. Watch that. Well, I'm praying for you. So what should you do? Pray for them. And stop right then and pray for them then. And then as the Holy Spirit brings it up. And so he says, I didn't just flippantly say something. We'll do lunch. I'm going to be see you a couple times. No, he said, I really intended to do this. But what changed it? The Spirit of God and the people. What was best for the people. Sometimes you've got to change your plan. And so therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or, or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be a yes, yes, and a no, no. And so Paul basically said, you know what, when I planned this, it was not something that I was planning on doing, but this is something the Lord changed the plan on it. You need to be open on plans. First of all, first of all, you need to realize that it's up to you to plan. Okay, a lot of Christians miss this. They think it's God's job to do all your planning for you. And they're so afraid of missing it with God. Raise your hand if you want to do the will of God in your life. Now, if you really want to do God's will, raise another hand. If you really, really want, lift your foot. Okay, sorry. See, the devil knows that. He'll use it against you. He'll judo you. Because if you really want to do the will of God, he'll just question and say, well, how do you know that that's what God wants you to do? You're going to make a huge mess of it in your life. If you do the wrong thing, you're going to mess up your plan for your life, and that's it. It's not so fragile. Guess what? God says he leaves some, a lot of planning up to you, but be open for course corrections. 
I want you to see something about that. Let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs. Because I'm speaking to someone today that you're paralyzed right now because there's a fork in the road and you're so afraid of missing it, you're not doing anything. And so the Lord's saying, I'm trusting you. Make some plans, walk forward, but then let me change it if needed. Look in Proverbs 16, look at verse 9. Proverbs 16, 9. It says, the Lord plans our way and the Lord directs our steps. Oh, I'm sorry, clueless translation. It says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so it's up to you to plan, but then when you start walking it out, be careful for course corrections. Because the Lord will direct you and say, oh, wait a minute. No, no, that's not quite right. I want you to go this direction. Raise your hand if you're willing to do whatever God wants you to do. That's the opening. That's the very most important thing. But next of all, it's up to you to do most of the planning. Pray about it and, and put it before the Lord, but then delight yourself in the Lord and follow the desires of your heart. You mean he trusts me just to follow what's in my heart? What I want to do? Yes. Now, if you're a flesh pot, and you're, just, and, and you're not serving the Lord, living in sin, and just living it up, could care less about God, that's not good. But if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you haven't heard of flesh pot, huh? So it, be a, tell someone, be a spirit pot. You got to be careful of that in Colorado, right? Yeah, praise God. But you know what? We get so... We get so, oh, we're just going to miss God. Oh, I'm so afraid of missing God. You know, if you want to do God's will, he will not allow you to mess up your life. Even if you make a wrong direction. Who has, H, who has GPS in their car? Now, when you, when you take a wrong direction, what does it say? Recalculating. And when you make another one, recalculate. And when you make another one, it'll still, it'll finally get, it'll finally say, hey, stupid, turn around. <laughs> but in a very nice lady voice but eventually it will get you on that's the way the lord is the lord's called that great shepherd of the sheep you know in his earthly ministry he's called the good shepherd of the sheep but in hebrews 13 he's called that great shepherd of the sheep how did jesus go from good to great i thought jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever yeah that's true but when he was in his earthly ministry, he was only in one place at one time. If you wanted to find Jesus, get direction from him, you had to find where he was, press through the crowd, touch Jesus, get hold of Jesus. But after he died and rose again from the dead and you accepted him as Lord and Savior, now the shepherd's on the inside of you. And wherever you go, the great shepherd goes with you. He's a great shepherd. Say a great shepherd. You know what I think about a great shepherd? Is a great shepherd makes sure a sheep is protected. They're not going to fall off a cliff. He'll make sure that he guides and directs and gets through to that sheep that he's on the wrong path. And so let me tell you something about God. And someone needs to hear this. God as the great shepherd, Jesus as the great shepherd, the Holy Spirit as the great shepherd, his ability to guide and lead you is far more, far greater than your ability to follow him. Pastor, what are you talking about? That means he'll make it so clear. If you want to do his will, he'll make it so plain that uh, what he wants you to do. And if you're getting wrong and going to be hurt, he will make it plain to you and get you on the, wrong, on the right path. Tell someone he's a great shepherd. And so it's up to you to make the plans, but leave it open to the Lord to make a course correction. 
Some Christians, you decided, you know what, this is what I'm going to do, and that's, I'm, I'm, that's exactly what. You're not trusting God. You're trusting in you and what your plan, especially in marriage, in relationships. When, I've seen this over and over again. You get uh, romantically and emotionally knitted, and especially if you've gotten physical with one another, and you give your heart away to that person, and there's more red flags than a Chinese New Year. And someone's trying to talk you into it, and you're like, no, no, I got to get, and then they, you even speed, they speed up. Why? Because they're afraid that if they see too much evidence, it may, they may have to say, no, it's not going to work out, and they want it so bad. And that works with other areas. I want my path so bad, and you're in the flesh. You're not trusting God, because if you're trusting God, it can wait. And it can exert, and it can, and it can have evaluation to it. It can have other people's input. It can stand up to it. But if you can't allow your plan to have anybody question it, or if the time, or it be delayed any, you're in the flesh. I came all the way from Colorado Springs to tell you that. Wait, am I in Colorado Springs? And so here it says, "Did I do this lightly, or did I plan according to the flesh? That with me, it's yes, yes, no, no. I just." Whatever, whatever works for the moment. Look at verse 18. But as God is faithful, say God is faithful. God is faithful. Tell someone God is, faithful. God is faithful. What is he faithful? He's faithful to lead you, guide you. Because someone, has everyone ever promised you they're going to do something and then backed out? Or just didn't even do it? They were flippant. They didn't do it. Or how many people actually said, you know what? I was fully intending to do it, but I just can't. And you, and you felt let down, but you understood why they couldn't do it. God will never, even, never, never do that. He's never promised that this is what I promise you. Oh, by the way, I totally forgot. The other per- I have some resources I got to give over here. I promised over here. I can't do that for you. I can't make rent this because I got to pay Susie over there. I've already promised her first. No, God will never do that. If God said something, take it to the bank, sissy. Take it to the bank, brother, because God's faithful. He will never, ever leave you down. He'll never change a plan on you again. Because he's faithful. You know this word God is faithful is used three times in the New Testament? You find God is faithful three times in the New Testament. God the Father is faithful. Jesus Christ is faithful. The Holy Spirit's faithful. When you see three, it speaks of the Trinity. God is faithful to you. And whatever he's promised to you, take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. Stop looking to people and counting on people. Look to God because he'll never, ever ever let you down and God's faithful to provide for you and so bow your head father I just thank you so much that you're faithful 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 and when people let us down Lord we look to you because you'll never let us down and you say pastor I'm making that commitment today that whatever you have for my life I'm willing to follow you and if that's you I want you to lift your hand and say father I'm making that decision you may have made that never thought about making that decision today Lord wherever you want to take me However, wherever, I'm lifting my hands saying, Lord, I am willing for you to lead me and guide me. And now the Lord's saying, I trust you. Make some plans. Make some plans. Follow your, delight yourself in me. Follow the desires of your heart. Follow that peace in your heart and make plans. Walk towards it. And I'm able to correct you. I'm able to direct you. And if you get off, I'm there. I'm going to keep you from getting hurt. And you're going to be provided for. I'm faithless. Prayer, and I was sitting there, and God spoke to me. And somebody in here is dealing with their past. They can't experience God today because their past keeps coming up in their mind. 
the Apostle Paul, he talked about this in the third chapter of Philippians. Verse 13, he said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I, I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I heard God say, if you'll just give me your past, I promise you I can make it worthy. I can just, I can use you. You think your past hinders you, but I ain't the great I was. I'm the great I am. So, Father, I just, whoever this for, Father, I just pray that you come to them and show them, Father, their past has been buried, that their future is bright, and that you're there with them. And all they have to do is say yes to you. Yes, that you'll come in and remove their burdens. And yes, you'll come in to show them that their decisions in the past doesn't affect who they are today. For greater are you that's in them than you that's in the world. And Father, I just thank you. I thank you this person's receiving this and receiving this freedom that's in Christ Jesus. I just say amen. I just wanted to share, and I'm sorry if I get a little emotional, but last week Pastor Rick was talking about our Red Sea parting, and my husband, like four days later, we've been believing for this for a long time, but we entered um, our promised land, and he received um, a job that just they offered him of a fiber engineer, and he's not he's not an engineer, and he's not qualified for the job, but I mean he's a smart guy. He'll receive some training. But what I want to say, he applied for job after job with his company, and he kept getting shot down, and we were like, what is going on? And so, but with Jesus, there's no toil. Um, and what God has done for us, he will do for you. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, the enemy on my journey to the promised land, uh, I went through a lot, and I, a lot of bullying, um, and I'll, it's a long story, um, but he is a bully, and it's true. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities against powers, against rulers of the darkness and of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. And so, you know, we're in this world. The enemy hates us. We're going to go through this stuff. Um, but it, there's a better way to do spiritual warfare to enter uh, the promised land, if, if that is the case, and that is keeping our eyes on Jesus. Um, and I'm happy, you know, the Lord, we, we, he gave me a, a secret, you know, kind of communication between he and I and the Holy Spirit. He taught me a lot of things. If you're struggling, I'm uh, more than happy to talk with you and teach you the things that he taught me because he wants you to enter in more than you can imagine.